You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. As a self-described professional tight ass, today's guest has tried every possible way to cut his bills and save money. Joel Gibson is Australia's number one bill buster, a regular media commentator, and the author of Easy Money, Seven Steps to Bust Your Bills. Joel, welcome onto the show today. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. And thanks for joining us in the studio in Sydney. It's great to record this in person. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, we've spoken before, but it was uh, obviously not in person. So it's nice to meet you properly and uh, and to meet your audience properly on video. Yes. Um, and it's, you know, it's a beautiful day and I hope we can save some people some money. Absolutely. I think that's a good aim. So by the end of the episode, if you don't have one way to save money, we've done the episode wrong. <laughs> I think that's pretty fair. That's yeah. fair. Joel, what's the weirdest thing you've ever done to save money? Well, look, I had to think about this and then I thought of something that happened recently, which is I had to buy a lawnmower. And I'm a huge fan of Aldi uh, and they regularly do these middle aisle specials on gardening and lawn mowing and that sort of thing. And they have a really good sort of $250 uh, lawnmower, electric lawnmower that has two 20 volt batteries, right? But of course, it's not there every week of the year. And the week that I had to buy a lawnmower wasn't lawnmower week at Aldi. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just have to go to Bunnings and see what they have. Uh, I was in the lawnmower aisle at Bunnings looking at all the other alternatives, similar sorts of lawnmowers to the Aldi one. $100, $200 more. Um, and I thought, I'm just going to have to bite the bullet and buy one of these other brands. And then I met a woman who was looking for a lawnmower who'd bought the Aldi mower and decided it was a little bit too big for what she needed. 
Um, she must have, uh, asked, I think she asked me a question for a bit of advice. We got chatting. Turns out she had the Aldi lawnmower in the box, in the boot of her car, in the Bunnings car park. Um, and so I bought the mower off her. She bought a smaller mower. Everybody won. And, uh, and I'm not quite sure what the moral of that story is, but I love the fact that I managed to get the uh, cheap mower on the weekend that wasn't in the store. So you did the deal in the uh, Bunny's car park. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it's the, the moral is just chat to people when you're at Bunnings. You might find some interesting stuff. Yeah. I think that's pretty, pretty good start, actually. I've, I've learned a lot from chatting to people in the, uh, in the aisles of Bunnings, whether it's the staff or the other customers. Yeah. Probably could stop you making some expensive mistakes because often you go in there having no idea what you really need. It's so true, you know, like people, everybody has uh, a money saving tip to give you. If you ask anybody on the street, they'll have a way that you haven't thought of yet or learnt of yet to save a buck. And so there's so much wisdom out there and, uh, and it's just a matter of tapping it. Um, I don't have all the answers, you don't have all the answers, but if we could bring together everything that everybody knows who we sort of talk to or deal with, there's an awful lot of money saving strategies and tips and hacks out there. And that's kind of what I try and do with my books and my other kind of media. It's pull together stuff that I've found and that other people have told me about, put it all in one place and make it as easy as possible for people. And speaking of finding money saving tips, I read an article recently where you actually used ChatGPT and <laughs> asked it for money saving advice. So did it come, come up with any goods for you? You know what? It was really good at certain things and really awful at other things. And, you know, I've spoken to other people who've tried to test its capabilities. A friend who's writing a PhD, for example, looked into whether it could help with his sort of literature review, which is pulling together all the relevant articles and, um, and books about a particular topic. And he found it was 90 to 95% fantastic. And then it started just inventing articles that didn't even exist to add to the list. Oh, gosh. So in my own experience, it was really good at certain things where it was kind of summarizing online content about, you know, tell me five ways to cut my energy bill. Yeah. Did that really, really well. I even think it was plagiarizing some of the stuff that I'd written online because some of it was <laughs> coming back and it looked very similar. Um, but what it was terrible at was I said, you know, I'm a four-person per, four household in this suburb in Sydney. Um, this is my annual usage. What's the best electricity plan on the market? And it couldn't answer it mm. um, because that involves using an online form, putting data into an online form um, and that sort of dynamic interaction with a website, which it couldn't cope with. So it's got a way to go yet. Uh, I don't feel like I'm going to be out of a job anytime oh, soon. that's good. <laughs> but it's certainly got a role to play and it's just, it's pretty gobsmacking what it's, what it's a, capable of doing at the moment. And there's just so much uh, improvement yet to come. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. We talked to a futurist on the show recently, Steve Sammartino, and he was talking about AI. So I feel like it's uh, the topic of the moment. I think it's just so exciting. And I think it's going to be some time before the average person can use AI to save thousands of dollars on their bills but it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, why AI still hasn't taken over both of our jobs, I'm keen to hear about groceries because I know that is something that impacts all of us. We're hearing from so many listeners that their cost of groceries is going up, cost of dining out, dining out's going up. And I'm keen to hear from you, like some of those strategies the supermarkets use on you to get you to spend more than you plan to. There's... It's so sophisticated when you when you look at the entire gamut of kind of tools that they have. Um, but I think what you need to think when you're walking into a supermarket is this. Their strategy is to get you in the door with certain forms of bait, okay? It might be 50% off specials on a particular thing that week in the, in the case of the big supermarkets. Aldi uses the middle aisle as bait. You might, you know, 
want you might be in the market for a two hundred and fifty dollar lawnmower <laughs> like I was. That gets you in the door, and they change that every week. Once you're in the door, their job is to make sure you do your entire shop in that one supermarket, that you fill your basket full of as much stuff as possible, that you buy things you didn't intend to buy that weren't on your list. Um, and so they have a few tricks to make you do that. One way they do it is that they scatter the essential items all around the supermarket. The milk's always at the back. Uh, the eggs are often hard to find because they're usually in a, in a sort of counterintuitive location where you have to hunt for them. And they even, you know, sometimes they even move them around. I went to a supermarket in my area recently um, and they'd actually moved the eggs since the last time I was there, just to keep <laughs> you guessing. So they want you, a bit like when you go to Ikea, they want you to walk the entire store mm. because they know that you're much more likely to chuck those Tim Tams or whatever it is into the trolley that weren't on the list. So knowing their strategy and understanding it, you know, they put stuff at eye level, they put stuff on the end of the aisles that they want you to notice. If you understand these tricks, you can counteract them to some extent. And what I say to people, the number one strategy for saving on your groceries is to be disloyal, to cheat on your supermarket. If you're cheating on your supermarket and shopping at more than one supermarket, whether that's every week or from time to time, you will save money because their job is to get you in the door with the, with the half price specials and the other kind of you know, one-off specials and then get you to buy the high margin products and fill the trolley. If you go into that supermarket and you take the half price specials that are relevant to you and the, and the other sort of things that are just that week, and then you go to the one next door and you mine their best deals as well, you can actually save, I worked out, we've got a bill of about $300 a week for a family of four. Uh, I can save over $1,500 a year just by shopping at Aldi and either Coles or Woolies just by spreading my custom between those two supermarkets. So whether you do it every week or once in a while, it's entirely up to what people can manage. Yeah. And then the other, the other ways to cheat on your supermarket is to bulk buy at places like Costco once in a blue moon, once a month or once, once a quarter. Um, Fruit and veg markets, if you have one available, a farmer's market nearby. I've seen research that suggests you can save about 50% on your fruit and veg bill if you go to a farmer's market and buy your fruit and veg there. So those are all different ways to kind of spread your customer around, you know, take the best of each of the different options. And over time, because it's such a big bill, the average bill is over $12,000 a year. Oh. So even a 10% saving is over $1,000. Um, and I think that's the way to think about groceries. It's it's a war of attrition. It's lots of little savings that add up to large amounts. Um, but if you can spread your love around a bit, then you'll do better than if you're just all in on the one supermarket week in, week out. Yeah, they kind of rely on us being time poor and just wanting it to get it all done in one full swoop. Absolutely. I think, you know, and that's a big part of it. And people will just have to give as much time and effort to this as they can. Some people are way too busy to shop at more than one supermarket. Some people are way too busy to get to the supermarket and so they order each week. Um, there are pros and cons, I think, of getting your groceries delivered. On the one hand, you are all in on that one supermarket. Um, on the other hand, it's very hard when you get to the checkout with a trolley uh, if you bust your budget for the week, it's very hard to sort of take stuff out and go back and put it on the shelves at that point if you're physically in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. If you're at the checkout, at the online checkout, and you've got a set budget and it's it's gradually tabulating what your what your bill's going to be and you and you bust your budget, it's relatively simple to go back and just take stuff out which you can do without. So. There are pros and cons of online shopping. Uh, I think it's important for people to know that you can get free delivery if you order over a certain amount. So it makes sense to do big shops, not multiple small shops if, you, if you're shopping online. Um, but, uh, 
But I think, yeah, you just need to understand what the pros and cons are and make sure that uh, you're playing, you're not playing their game, you're playing your game. Yeah, they really use that psychology against you. I, I mean, I was going to the supermarket with a friend recently and something came up a lot more expensive than they expected. I, I think it was one of those way things. So when they were actually checking out and they said to the, the person at the counter, no, I'm not taking that. And I feel like I wouldn't have the strength to do that. <laughs> they actually got it put back. That's very smart because you're not, not obliged to take it, you know. it's um, and, and although everything in the supermarket should be priced and, and labelled, sometimes they're not. You know, mm. the labels don't match what's sitting next to them. So sometimes you don't know till you get to the to the um, point where you're swiping your groceries, exactly what everything costs. But uh, it is really important, I think, to use that unit pricing that they mm. do have in supermarkets because it's now compulsory in Australian supermarkets. It wasn't for many years and it was a fight that was won by the consumer movement to give people a really clear idea of what the value for money was of different packet sizes and you know, you get those chip packets that are half full of air and, and if it wasn't for the unit pricing, you wouldn't actually know yeah. what you're paying per weight for, you know, a chip in that packet. So <laughs> that's another great strategy I think that's really important. And if you do start to look at the unit pricing, what you'll notice is you'll start to pick up on those little tricks, those little marketing tricks they have, such as putting the bargains on the top and the bottom shelf where they're harder to see, you know, yeah. and putting the, the kind of name brands that pay extra at eye level for that yeah. in those prime prime positions. Yeah, it's tricky because I was at a, a market recently and they were saying two dips for $6. But then when I, I looked under the, the shelf and it actually was just $3 per dip. So <laughs> it made it seem like it was a special, but it was just adding two together. Yeah, it was just encouraging you to buy more than one. Yeah. I wonder if it worked. It probably did. I just bought one. I, I, was, I stayed strong. Um, and what so actually, I, just while sorry, I'm there, yeah. another classic marketing technique which you see across all household bills, but particularly in, in supermarkets, is what they call anchoring. Mm. So you know those old infomercials, late-night infomercials that used to say, yeah, how much would you expect to pay for this set of steak knives? Uh, $299? No way. $199? Not a, not a chance. Just, you know, two installments of $49.99. So that's anchoring. And what it's doing is it's creating an expectation in your head of what something might cost by naming an outlandish price first up uh, and then working its way back to create what looks to you, hopefully, like a bargain because the anchor point was something way more expensive. Now, supermarkets use this all the time because they have, obviously, their labelling, their unit pricing, but then they have their range of different sales stickers, some of which are 50% off, some of which are, you know, maybe a dollar off. Um, and the big supermarkets actually have, I think, two or three different categories of price drops um, or price cuts. And, um, and it's bewildering, you know, when you're in there, all you see is the red and the green and the yellow, and you have this instinctive reaction that that must be cheap. But it's not necessarily. Have a look at the unit price because that'll tell you whether it's cheap or not. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny the, how they use it, your brain against you. Mm. And what about dining out? Because that's another area food related that is costing us a lot right now. Do you have any tips on uh, saving saving a bit of dosh there? Oh, look, it's hard because there aren't that many ways to kind of save off the ticket price when you eat out. But, um, uh, you know, there are some um, apps slash kind of physical uh, voucher type books you can you can buy, which will, which will get you access to a whole heap of um discounted uh, you know, dining out options. One very well-known one is called the Entertainment Book. Um, a lot of your listeners might already you know, be subscribers to that. Um, that's got some great deals, not just on dining out, mind you, but uh, on everything from 
you know, Woolies, discounted Woolies gift cards, which you can use for petrol and groceries mm-hmm. to um, dining out and other things as well. And then, you know, there are um, there are sites like Groupon, which do a lot of that sort of stuff as well. Just worth checking before you, if you're planning on going out Thursday night, I think it's worth jumping onto some of those daily deal sites and just seeing what they have. Um, but the other thing I think is really important in this takeaway eating out sort of space is just to understand the, the extra cost that delivery apps have added mm-hmm. to this. Um, now, obviously, they take a large amount um, from the restaurant to deliver, but there's also been an effect where they've increased um, prices, I think, in restaurants and takeaway. What we've noticed recently when we've done our you know, family budget is just that just having takeaway one night a week is about $5,000 a year. You know, it's a hundred bucks a week for four people, $5,000 a year. That's twice our power bill. Um, and that's just for one Nearly takeaway. Nearly half your grocery bill. Yeah. So if you, if you think about it, uh, is it worth that much to you? Mm. What are the alternatives? It's actually, we've actually got to the point now where sometimes it's cheaper to eat out than it is to, to, to order in because of that extra cost that's been imposed by the delivery app. So it might be convenient, might be easy. But restaurants themselves would prefer you to either come and pick the food up. Sometimes they'll give you a 15% discount just for picking it up yourself uh, or to eat in. And so dining in is maybe cheaper than takeaway. And also think about over the course of a year, what, um, what your takeaway bill or your eating out bill is adding and just work out, you know, is it worth that much to you and should you limit it to once a week or just be conscious of it. I think it's a good um, it's a good tip. A lot of people are trying to find every single dollar they can save at the moment, and I reckon that's one of those areas in most household budgets where you'd be surprised how much it costs. Yeah, yeah, it's cheeky how they increase the cost of the item as well as the delivery often on those delivery mm, apps. Yeah, so something to watch out. And for. they ask you for a tip. Yeah, <laughs> and it's often cold. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's there's so many different people involved in that process because everyone, the driver needs to make some money, the restaurant needs to make money, and the delivery app needs to make some money. So it's quite a yeah, it's a lot more layers of fees involved. Um, and I think the small your local restaurants do appreciate you coming in person and picking things up. They really do. I mean, I have a pizza shop near me, near me, one of my one of my favourite pizza shops, and they will give you a fifteen percent discount if you come in and and collect takeaway because they want to discourage the use of the apps. They prefer to deal directly with you. Um, some restaurants will have their own app where if you order directly, again, it's a bit cheaper because mm-hmm. you know they want to cut out the middleman if they can. Yeah. yeah. Now, changing topics slightly to another thing that's a big part of our budget and often quite necessary, insurance. And I see ads for that all the time on TV and at the footy, but maybe something that everyone, a lot of people have, car insurance. Have you got any ways to save there? Oh, I've got this great way that I call the mystery shopper. Mm -hmm. And I reckon it's, it's the first thing you should do if you get a big premium increase on your car insurance. Go to your insurer's website Pretend to be someone else. Put the details of your car in, exactly the same as, as it's insured at the moment. You might have to put your neighbor's address in so that they don't recognize you. Sometimes they'll remember your address as being one of their customers and just see what they're charging a new customer. Because there's evidence to suggest that new customers pay up to 34% less on average than old, loyal, mm. existing customers in the car insurance industry. And so often you'll get a much cheaper quote when you pretend to be a new customer. You can then call them up and take that to them and say, why are you charging me this when you're asking only this of a new customer? And often they will play ball. I've had insurers say to me, okay, well, we'll cancel your current policy. We'll open a new one. It's just the same policy with a different number. 
um, and you can have a 25% you know, discount too, even though you're not a new customer. So ask them because they'll often play ball. Yeah, it's always sad to me how loyalty just doesn't pay in finance brands, whether it's home loans or insurers, mm. you just don't get rewarded for being loyal to one company. It is so rare these days to get rewarded for being loyal. There are, you know, occasionally examples that I see, but the general rule, I always say there's three rules to saving money on your household bills. Switches get the best deals, switches get the best deals, and switches get the best deals. <laughs> and it's sad but true. You need to at least be prepared to move to unlock what I call under the table deals or what they call retention or win back offers in a lot of businesses. Uh, they often talk about two different types of customer in businesses. They talk about price chasers. They're the people who are always prepared to switch for a better deal and they get the best price because the business knows they have to give them sometimes a deal they've had in the bottom drawer that they don't advertise just to keep them. The other type of customer they talk about is the sleeping beauty. And that's someone who's been with them forever, never asks for a better deal, blissfully dozes away, basically cross-subsidizing the great deals for the people who you know, are the squeaky wheels. And so unfortunately, if you are one of those people that doesn't switch from time to time or at least kind of threaten to switch, you are probably a sleeping beauty and you are probably paying hundreds, if it's a mortgage, sometimes thousands of dollars more than you have to every year. Yeah, do you have any strategies for having that conversation? Because I know a lot of us feel quite uncomfortable saying, threatening to switch it kind of sounds quite severe doesn't it 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 does and i've actually got scripts in my book for precisely that sort of scenario and essentially what the scripts say is this be polite but give them the information they need to know that you have another option what you yep. what i call leverage and the best way to get leverage is first of all to, to, to work out using any of a number of shortcuts what the cheapest deal on the market is right now so if we're talking about an energy retailer, in a matter of under five minutes, you can check what the cheapest deal is on a government website in your area right now. Then you contact your retailer. You can call them if you're confident to, send them an email if you're not, put it in writing. And you basically say, look, I've been a customer for this number of years. You're asking me to pay this. The price is going up by that. I've just had a quick look online at the government website and I've seen that the, the, this other provider is, is offering me this. Now, I'm basically, I've got one foot out the door. I'm completely prepared to switch. Uh, I just thought I'd give you one call before I do and see whether you can either match or beat this offer. And if you can, I'm very happy to stay for another year. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And look, honestly, if, you, if you're prepared to ask the question, more often than not, they will play ball with you um, because you've picked up the phone or yeah. you've written an email and, uh, and ultimately they need to keep customers. It costs them hundreds or even a thousand plus dollars for some products to find a new customer using marketing money. Doesn't cost them that much to keep you hopefully. So uh, that might be the cheaper option. I like that approach. Just lay out all the information on the table. You can write it down even like using a script. You can often dot point what you want to say on that conversation. So you're really clear about it. And be very polite. Yeah. People think, you know, I'm not, I'm not even suggesting anyone be aggressive or unpleasant, you know. Um, there's just, it, there's a polite way to ask a difficult question. It's a bit like when you ask for a pay rise, you know, that's, that's the best way to go about it. Make the case, have some leverage, be unfailingly polite, put the ball in their court and see what happens. And look, if they're not prepared to play ball, you have to be prepared to walk across the road for a better deal. Because if you're not, you're going to pay more, you're going to pay way more over time than the people who are prepared to walk. 
Yeah. And you mentioned those government energy websites. Are you able to talk about that? Because I know there's a lot more resources than mm. there used to be about knowing how much we're paying for electricity and gas. Yeah, sure. There's two crucial websites people need to know about. One that covers most states uh, where you can switch. It's called Energy Made Easy. So that'll cover Southeast Queensland, New South Wales, South Australia, the ACT, Tasmania. Um, Victoria has its own website called Victorian Energy Compare. Same concept, but they've just gone it alone. Uh, and the beauty of the Victorian one at the moment is they're paying you 250 bucks just for visiting the website. Um, that's had a fascinating effect on the market in Victoria because so many people are now seeing what the cheapest deals are on the market because the government's paying them to come and look. <laughs> the, the deals have got better. Yeah. The discounts have got bigger over the past six months. And um, retailers are having to try harder to win customers over. So that's fantastic for Victorians. Even if you've gone and got your 250 bucks for visiting that website in Victoria, go back because chances are since you were last there, the deals have got better. <laughs> and you might find you can save even more mm. by switching again. And with the energy market out of control, like it is at the moment, some people are going to have to switch more than once a year just to make sure they're always on one of those cheapest deals. Yeah, so Victoria's really encouraging people not to be sleeping beauties on their <laughs> energy at the moment. Yeah, it's a fascinating strategy and um, it's different in other states. In other states, they tend to just be giving money, you know, discounts or rebates out to people who are on concession cards, for example, and identifying the most needy households that way. Victoria's taken a different mm -hmm. approach in basically paying, paying consumers to educate themselves and it appears to be working, at least in the sense of creating competition, which yeah. which forces prices down. So it's quite so winning on both exciting. fronts. Yeah. Lower cost for your energy, and also you're getting the two hundred and fifty dollars. And do some of the other states have different incentives? Because I know, like, I got a free shower head in Victoria. There's a whole. There's actually a whole list of. If, if you want to look at government assistance for your energy bills, yeah. the first thing is the comparison sites to find you a cheap deal. But there's also a long list of other rebates and concessions. Some of those are targeted at um, concession card holders and pensioners and low-income households and self-funded retirees, people who need, who need help the most. Yeah. Some of them are actually just targeted at people who want to make their home more energy efficient. Uh, and in the federal budget, we were just recently we saw a whole bunch of new announcements about you know, they're going to help people to remove gas and install solar and, and mm -hmm. do some of those things, which will make your home over the next 10 years much cheaper to run, even if there's an upfront cost of changing over. Um, so yeah, you can get a free shower head in some states. In New South Wales at the moment, you can get, um, they'll come in and replace your halogens with LED light globes, which cost a fraction of the price to run because they last a lot longer. Yeah. Um, and uh, the government's heavily subsidizing the replacement of those light globes. Um, so there's all sorts of these little kind of programs. It's hard sometimes to find them all, yeah. but there's one great federal government website, which has just about everything on it. And you can search by your state and it's just called energy.gov.au. So that's the first place I'd go to see what you're entitled to in terms of you know any sort of government help, state government and federal government help or territory if you're in the ACT, for example. The ACT, for example, is giving interest-free loans up to $15,000 for people who want to install solar batteries and other kind of you know energy efficiency measures in their homes. So yeah, there's a lot out there. Yeah, and it's often <laughs> those things, if you don't go to that website, you only know about them because your friend told you. Like I had a friend that told me about the, the showerhead energy. Yeah. Well, not energy saving, we're saving some water here, maybe energy too, I don't know. But um, you often don't hear about all of these savings hacks unless you look for them. Yeah, or someone advertises it to you. Yeah. I mean, I've had um, 
electricians knocking on my door offering to replace my light globes because they're being paid by the government to do so. So they're incentivized to do so. But uh, yeah, how else would you know? Mm. Um, this is the problem. Governments are very good at... Um, at uh, creating these sort of rebates and, and kind of concessions for people, not so good at telling people about them. Uh, and so they're often undersubscribed and there's all this money sitting in the pot waiting for people to come and claim it, but um, it doesn't always get to its uh, destination, which is a real shame because yeah. people need that help at the moment. Absolutely. And the more we can share these resources with friends and family or even help your parents out, it's for the better. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what about another big cost for many of us is our mortgage repayments. And have you had much success using your script on on banks and lenders trying to get your interest rates down? Yeah, actually, there is a guy in the book who um, has used it several times over the past few years, and he reckons it saved him tens of thousands of dollars. His name's Lindsay, uh, and that's extraordinary. Like that's that's by far the most amazing you know feedback I've had um, I'm sure there are other people out there who are using it as well but what he's done is he's used it on three or four occasions um, and and on the last occasion because we were going through that period where there were these super low fixed rates um, you know he he used it to get a super low fixed rate for I think three or four years um, and rates have now ballooned and gone through the roof he's still on that fixed rate for another year so he reckons that that phone call alone saved him five figures which is uh, which is amazing um, but banks particularly at the moment are fighting really, really hard for refinances, mm. you know, to the point where some of the big banks are offering even $4,000 cash back and a pretty good cheap rate for refinances. And some of the smaller lenders are, are tearing their hair out saying that big banks are kind of, um, you know, basically losing money on new customers in order to win these, these refinances. So I think it's important to understand even though rates are high, there's a highly competitive mortgage market at the moment and it really does pay to see what else is out there get a broker to help you see if there's a cheaper a cheaper rate um, and use that as leverage with your current lender now some people because of the because the rates have risen so much some people are what we call mortgage prisoners and won't be able to borrow as much as their as their current loan from another lender so they're stuck um, but the best tip I think for those people is the bank doesn't necessarily know that you can't borrow the same amount again unless they go through the whole process of uh, doing a serviceability assessment from scratch. So it's worth trying to call their bluff. It's worth calling them up at the end of your fixed rate when it's going up to, you know, from 2% to 55 or whatever it is. Um, it's worth calling them up and saying, look, is this the best rate you can give me? Because if it's not, I'm thinking of looking elsewhere. Maybe have a look at one of the comparison websites before you do that and see what the cheapest rates mm -hmm. are so you can name drop a couple. You know, HSBC's offering this or yeah. um, Ubank's offering that, some of the really cheap lenders. Uh, and then just see what they say because they are, there is some evidence that banks are offering people discounts of up to 100 basis points behind the scenes through brokers and directly on the phone to keep them at the end of that rate period. Um, and if you really want to play hardball, you can request what's called a mortgage discharge form, which suggests to the bank that you're getting ready to move. Uh, and often that'll raise a red flag inside their retention team and you might get a phone call. Yeah. Give it a try. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even if you don't actually plan to move, you can you can give it a shot. And I think going in prepared with a couple of other comparative rates that are hopefully lower than your current one shows them you've put some effort and thought into this conversation and that you're prepared to switch. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they will know those other rates on the market because that's yeah. their job to know. Uh, and it, it sort of it means you have a slightly different conversation with them than if you just called up and said, can you give me a cheaper rate? Uh, if you call up and say, I've seen this and that, I'm, I've, I'm pretty confident I can I can apply for that and be uh, or, you know, even better. I've applied for that and been pre-approved. If that's the case, that's the strongest negotiating position of all, right? But uh, at the very least, name drop a couple of rates and a couple of banks. Um, let them know that you've done a bit of research and that you're not a mug. And uh, you'll get, hopefully, some sort of result because it's going to be so hard for these you know, borrowers to go from two to wherever we end up. Uh, and there's 800,000 households who are going through that this year alone, according to the RBA. Oh, well, if any listener tries calling up their broker or their, their bank and gets a better deal, let us know. <laughs> uh, we'd, be, we'd be keen to hear that and what approach you use to that conversation. And what about fuel and transport? Because I know that's another one that's really impacting us at the moment. And I know we've talked about some of the, the fuel saving apps before on the show, but are there any other ways that you're cutting costs there? Yeah, there's a range of different ways. I would say that the number one most important thing is don't just pull into the first servo you see when the light comes on because that could mean you're paying as much as 40, even 50 cents a litre more than you have to on that given day because that's how big the gap is sometimes between petrol stations that are as little as one kilometre apart. <laughs> and the reason for that is because we have this petrol price cycle that goes up and down. They say it rises like a rocket and drops like a feather. So it goes zoom and yep. slowly down. But if you're at that rocket point, you sometimes for about a week or more will get half, half of petrol stations that have raised prices and half that haven't. And if you pull in at the first petrol station on that day when the light comes on, you could end up paying 50 cents a litre more. That's what, for a 50-litre tank, that's 25 bucks. You know, so for an average petrol tank, $25 more than you have to. If you do that over and over again during the course of a year, you'll pay hundreds or thousands of dollars more on your petrol bill than you need to. So use those apps. They're so good. They're so easy. They're now compulsory in every state except Victoria um, for, for retailers to share their pricing every 15 minutes or so. Okay. Um, there's a few good ones. Uh, easy Street, Petrol Spy, probably my two favorite national ones. And there are some state-based ones. Um, and they will tell you instantly what the cheapest petrol is in your area. Then on top of that, if you're really determined to pay as little as possible, you can also make the most of the different sort of discount schemes. But, um, but don't rely on a discount scheme to, obviously if you're pulling into the service station that's 40 or 50 cents a litre more than the one down the road, there ain't no fuel docket scheme in the country that's gonna make up that difference, right? So this is the, so they're the sort of cherry on top is those fuel discount schemes. And you can get them from the supermarkets, you can increase the supermarket ones. For example, I think if you're an Origin Energy customer now, you can get up to 12 cents a litre with uh, Woolies petrol stations. Uh, they've got a partnership there. Um, linked Toll Roads has a partnership with Shell Coles Express where you can get an extra discount because you're a linked member. So there's a variety of different ways you can stack different discounts to get sort of over 10 cents a litre from those major chains. 7-Eleven has their fuel price lock. So right now today in Sydney, uh, there are prices around $1.70. It's at the bottom of the price cycle. I just jumped on on the way here um, and opened the 7-Eleven app and locked in that price for a week so that when it does spike, I've got a bit of a grace period. Uh, yep. So every time it gets to the bottom of the price cycle, 
jump on the 7-Eleven app and do that. Next time you need to fill up, if there's a 7-Eleven in the area, you can <laughs> fill up at the bottom of the cycle, even though the prices might have spiked. Yeah, it's interesting. Those small changes really do add up. And you mentioned reward schemes because I'm always interested to know, are they actually worth it or <laughs> are they just farming your data when you tap your card at checkout? Both. Um, <laughs> I have spoken to people, for example, who uh, in sort of basically investigated how the flybys algorithm and the everyday rewards algorithm works yeah. and, and maximized their points by, um, there's a variety of different ways you can do it. But if you don't shop at a particular supermarket um, one week, for example, they'll increase your bonus points offer the next week uh, to entice you to come back. So uh, this particular woman, Lee, who's in, who's in the book and she's, she's a real gun money saver. Um, and so she will play the algorithms off against each other and go from Woolies to Coles and back and forth and, and basically use a bunch of tricks that she's developed to save herself, she reckons about $1,000 a year on her grocery bill. Now, that's a really effective way if you're just shopping at one supermarket or two supermarkets to save at those supermarkets. I still think you'll spend less if you shop at Aldi from time to time and shop at Coles or Woolies from time to time. So I guess I'd say the same thing about groceries as about petrol. Uh, there's nothing wrong with rewards programs. You can get a lot of value out of them. They don't generally make up for the extra premium you pay for shopping at big brand yep. stores or big brand petrol stations, which are normally, basically the, the cost of the rewards program is baked in. Um, so by all means, go for it and make the most of them. Um, you know, if you've got listeners who are points hackers who like to, um, you know, uh, amass frequent flyer points and play the whole points game, They'll be shouting. Uh, they'll be shouting at me, saying this guy doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. I've flown first class. It costs me nothing because I, you know, I, I amassed enough points in a number of different ways to do so. That's possible, and it's and it's it's particularly possible for people who spend a lot of money um, to to rack up big rewards on these rewards programs and get a lot out of them. But as a general rule for money savers, people who want to spend as little as possible on stuff, rewards programs aren't necessarily the way to do that. Yeah, I know a few that are not supermarket related that I'm a part of that definitely entice me to spend more money because they yeah. come with a lot more emails or they've got incentives. If you spend so much on one weekend, you'll get an extra $50 to spend the next week and they definitely work on me. Oh, they're brilliant. Mm. They're absolutely brilliant. And, you know, they're especially we talked a bit about AI before. As AI improves these algorithms will just get better and better at predicting. They can customize uh, the messaging how to get for money you. Out of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're already customizing the message. I'm already getting an email each week from Coles and Woolies saying, this is what's on special that they, stuff that they know I've bought in the yeah. past. You know, that was the, that was the sort of early iteration of it. Um, but, uh, the sky's the limit, really, yeah. on what they're going to be able to do with the uh, benefit of the developments in AI. It's a, bit, it's a little bit frightening. You've got to be more savvy as a consumer because you've got all this psychology and technology working against you. Yeah, I think that's true, actually. I think that's true. Um, it's, it's us against the robots now. It's not even us against the, uh, the humans. It used to be, look, you know, insurance companies have whole teams of actuaries who sit there and work out, for example, how much they can in increase your premium before you'll be motivated to switch. Yeah. So they'll be sitting there looking at the data going, oh, we gave someone, when we, when we give a 5% increase, people stay, 10%, uh, half of those people leave, 15%, three quarters leave. So let's just go with a 9% increase this year and we'll keep these. So that, that's, that's the sophistication that big businesses have in terms mm -hmm. of human resources. Now they've got 
artificial intelligence on their side as well. Um, but I think we're going to have artificial intelligence on our side too. You know, we have, we're going to work out ways as consumers to use AI to um, mm. level the playing field a bit. So find technology maybe. to help find us the best deal and get yeah. notifications when there's a better rate available for our energy bill or our water bill or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And there are already, you know, businesses and apps that are doing versions of that. So I think, you know, we're seeing the early early days of that, um, making it easier for people, automating stuff, automating money saving. Um, yeah, that's all going to happen. That's all going to be part of the picture. Amazing. Well, Joel, we've covered a lot of tips from uh, doing deals in the Bunnings car park to <laughs> where to find the best energy saving That sounds resources. illegal, doesn't it, when you put it like that? Is there anything... Any other burning money tips on your mind today that you want to share before we wrap this conversation up? No, I think I think mainly it's just an attitude. You know, the first part of my book is actually about not about specifically about particular household bills. It's about attitudes and strategies, and I use a lot of um, you know pop culture references because that's how I think. You know, I talk a lot about movies and uh, yep. and I think the single most important strategy and the first one in the book is what I call the De Niro because it's named after. Um, a character that Robert De Niro plays in one of my favourite movies, Heat, from 1996. He's a bank robber. He never gets caught. The reason is because he says he's always willing to walk out on anything in 30 seconds flat if he feels the heat coming around the corner. And that becomes a theme for the whole movie. You've got to be Robert De Niro in your interactions with household bills, with providers of your household bills. If you're as ruthless and as disloyal as De Niro, it will save you thousands of dollars over time. But if you're a pussycat, unfortunately, you will end up one of these sleeping beauties, as we call them, uh, who basically pays for everybody else to get great deals while you're dozing away in the corner under a, under a rug. All right. That's a good one. Don't <laughs> subsidize everyone else's good deals. Be the one that gets the good deals. Absolutely. Well, Joel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And if people want to learn a bit more about you, catch you on TikTok, get a copy of your book, where should they go? They can um, find me on uh, TikTok at Joel M. Gibson, M for Mary. Mary's not my middle name, but M for Mary. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I'm on Instagram at Joel Kills Bills as well. Um, easier to spell than it is to say, Joel Kills Bills. And obviously my, my book, Easy Money, is um, everywhere good books are sold, as they say, and, and probably in a few places where bad books are sold too. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Joel, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing some of your tips with us. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz 
that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.